It helps us take a holistic approach to providing care. Uh, for some people, it is very difficult for them to accept a diagnosis or to understand why something's happening to their loved one or to themselves. And we can really allow the chaplains to come in and, and minister to the people in a more in-depth way than what we're able to give in 10-15 minutes. Many of our patients have experienced so much life trauma and so much um, disruption and upheaval, um, and their lives are filled daily with struggles and challenges that many of us will never understand. And in order to really get at um, the root cause of those problems, you have to address those spiritual concerns, and people are hungry to be heard and hungry to be acknowledged, and that's what the chaplains do every day in our lobby for our patients. I've come here to minister to the children, and by ministering, I mean by playing with them on Friday mornings for a couple hours. And I'm not just ministering to them in the sense of ministry, but more in the sense of getting to be in their life. The reason a person would um, choose to be part of our chaplaincy team here would be to engage with people and also to show people how God can work through us and reach out to those that may not know about God and Jesus and uh, that we can uh, actually minister the gospel to folks that might not otherwise be exposed to the gospel, which is a really good thing. It's a win-win for everyone. It's a win for us because it makes us more effective at what we do. It's an absolute win for the patient because they get their needs addressed in a, a, in a whole or comprehensive way. But most importantly, I think it's a win um, for the church as well because they can truly be the hands and feet of Christ and, and come directly to the people that need them most. Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today here at First Christian Church. Some of you are wondering, well, what's with that? Yeah, I had a little minor surgery this week and um, on my foot, and uh, it just grew a little bit more than my shoes would allow. So um, we're going to have to manage this for a couple days. So anyways, apart from that's why you see this here, and um, we're just going on. All right, so uh, for those of you in the East Order term, we're very glad you're with us today, as well as those of you who are here in the West. I'm glad that we've gathered together to declare the praises of Jesus Christ and to see what he might have to say to us through Scripture. And we're going to do that today. We're going to look in Acts chapter 20. And if you would grab a Bible, I'd appreciate that. Acts is about this, it's almost towards the back end of the Bible. Guests, my name is Wayne Kent. I'm part of the pastoral team here. And uh, we're doing something a little bit different today, so um, it really is going to focus in a lot of ways on who we are as a church and who, how that's relating to each individual person in the church. And so if you're a guest with us today, I'm really glad that you're here. You're going to, frankly, you're going to hear some nitty-gritty stuff that, about how we work and do life together, and um, it's a great week for you to be here today with us. So, um, many of you know that Leslie and I have been away for a few days. Um, we were actually, uh, we had a very busy December with all the services that we had scheduled and um, a busy Christmas season, so we took some time away last week to catch our breath. I thank the staff for um, minding the, the store while I was gone, if you will. We went for a warmer climate down to Florida and the Caribbean. It's always a good place to go down there for vacation, in my mind anyways, particularly as you think about weather in central Illinois at the end of, end of January. Doesn't uh, Florida and the Caribbean sound a whole lot better idea? I, I'm aware 
that different people take, well, I've got this many weeks vacation or this much vacation each year. You're going to use it different ways depending on preferences and needs. Like perhaps some of you would say, I'd like to go to the Himalayas and I'd like to um, climb Mount Everest during my vacation. That's not for me. Maybe that's for you. Uh, obviously, the weather is going to dictate when you can do that. There's just a, f- a few weeks when you can actually go and climb Mount Everest. It's around the time of May 23rd each year, but before, mostly after, and you've got to know there's just a couple of weeks where you've got to get on the mountain, get up, and get back. And um, looking at that photo right there, um, let me just say, I think the Caribbean is much more my style. I don't know about you. But the idea of vacationing and climbing and all that sort of stuff does not really appeal to me. Everest is way too much work, way, way, way too cold. I'm not going there. I've been reading about Mount Everest of late, uh, mostly because I'm thinking, where would I want to go vacation next? And I'm not there. Apparently, there are other people who agree with me when it comes to Everest. Donna Kavanaugh, who's a writer from New York City, says this, personally, Mount Everest is not something I feel the need to do. The biggest uphill challenge I ever face is by passing an escalator for a set of stairs at the mall. Okay, I did climb the Statue of Liberty once. Now she's from New York. She says, but only because I thought I should. Native New Yorkers never do the touristy stuff and I wouldn't know if I was missing out on anything. And then she says, I learned I'm not missing out on anything. So uh, if you are, though, saying, well, I want to do more than go to New York City and I want to do more than go to the Caribbean, I do want to go to, um, to the Himalayas, I want to climb Mount Everest, and I've got some guidelines for you, some things to think about, some things to plan on. And one of the things you have to do, obviously, you may be aware of this, you have to hire a Sherpa guide. That's what they're known as, Sherpas. And I've come across some things, um, how you know if you've chosen the wrong Sherpa. That would not be a good thing, okay? But so here's some, some signs that you've chosen the wrong Sherpa guide to get you up the mountain. Number one, every day's breakfast is schmores around the campfire. That's not a good sign that you've got the right Sherpa. Number two, the second sign that you may have the wrong Sherpa that's going to lead you up the mountain is this, that your first day's preparation is devoted entirely to making snow angels. Again, you want to do more than that, Okay. Then, you know, if you go up, up Mount Everest these days, you carry metal um, oxygen bottles, right? And so the third sign that you've chosen the wrong Sherpa to guide you out to get up the mountain is that he has everyone stick their tongues to cherry popsicles just to practice of what not to do. Not a good idea. I'm glad you're liking this. <laughs> Number four sign, when he keeps saying, is it me or is it cold up here? The last sign, the last sign that you've chosen the wrong Sherpa guide. Every 10 minutes, he stops and he yells, Ricola! <laughs> In my reading about Mount Everest, I came across a strange protocol um, that as you get prepared to go up the mountain, they, the Sherpa guides tell you, okay, there are, some, there are some markers, there are some things to look for, so that once you get to a certain place and you see this, then you know you're halfway up the mountain, or here's another marker, you see this. They're all, all usually brightly colored. You get up another, see another marker, like uh, you see some green, then you're three-quarters of the way up. And so you look for these markers, they'll tell you how far up and how far down you are. And 
Do you know what the most common markers are? Dead people. You got it. Where did I hear that? Somewhere over here. Dead people, right? That's true. There were 200 bodies on the mountain. People who've died. And there are photos of them, but in my wisdom, I decided not to show them to you, okay? Is that okay? If, you, if you're so absurd and so gruesome, you want to see me, you can go out on the internet. I saw them. So there you go. All right. Um, Here's the deal, when these people have been climbing Mount Everest and they've died and it's very dangerous and difficult to get them down and they're frozen, they're frozen in place and so most of them remain non-buried, they may drape them in a, in a, a flag of the nation they were from, but they just lay there on the trail forever, waiting for Jesus to come back, I think, or something or other. One famous body gives a very cautionary tale. In 2006, an English climber from Great Britain, his name is David Sharp. I want you to remember that name, David Sharp, because it'll come back as we move our way through the sermon today. Uh, you know, you face problems when you go up there that your brain swells a little bit and you cannot think very correctly and you can go to sleep easily if you sit still for too long. And so he went to a cave to rest. He fell asleep and while he was asleep, he actually, his clothes and everything got frozen to the rocks around him and he couldn't move when he woke up. And he couldn't call out very loudly. And so people who, he had 40 other climbers walk on past him thinking that he was one of these markers that they couldn't remember. He, he's alive and they thought he was dead. Until one of them eventually heard faintly that he was making a noise, help me, help me, help me. You know what happened? They couldn't, he was too frozen. They, he literally died right there. Now some of you are going, Wayne, this is not the way to get us engaged in a sermon. Well frozen in place and people walking on by is what's really caught my attention. Because there are stories like this from Mount Everest where people who are in need of help, where other climbers have just walked on past them because they're so intent on getting to the top that that's their only drive. Those are horrid stories. And then other times when somebody has been in, you know, incapacitated in some way and the decision is made that if we try and save this person we will all lose our lives. I've come to this conclusion, even in the morbidness of all of this. The Caribbean is a whole lot more pleasant than that. And here's why I've told you this story. We are today at the end of a unique sermon series. And, you know, um, we, we've never approached a sermon series this way in the past, that I can recall anyways. Uh, We've spent the last four weeks talking about the church's mission and our core values, and I, we've presented those to you in a lot of different ways over the years. But this time around, there's an added dimension. See, this time, at the beginning of 2017, at this time in our church's life, we have two congregations, or not, pardon me, two auditoriums in play, not two congregations, but one congregation, two different rooms, and the profile of our congregation has changed, and so it's been really necessary, I think, in this moment to determine who are we, not only in terms of our mission and our core values, but who are we simply in terms of people. Not just that you hear of what we do and what we believe, but more so that you intentionally choose to join with us in the mission and call of God in our church. And so for the last four weeks, those of us who have been preaching, I've asked you to consider your, asked, uh, we've asked you to consider your, your relationship to the church. Because here's my concern. That as a congregation, we have a very tall task. I think you're aware of that. We say that we're going to reach 10% of the community. 
And in order to do that, that's, I mean, that's way up. That's a tall mountain to climb. A lot of ministry endeavors to make that happen. But I fear, and I use that word purposely, I fear that there may be some individuals who are here at First Christian Church who have not yet connected with the climbing team and you're frozen in place. And you need to hear very clearly, this congregation, this pastor, Wayne Kent, I don't want to ever walk on by you as you breathe, but no one notices that your care is lacking, that you're not fully engaged. God help us to have no David Sharps, that English climber. God help us to have no one like that here at First Christian Church left behind, frozen in a cave, calling out for help without anybody hearing. Because I'm quite aware of this. While we want to reach this community, and that's God's call upon our congregation, our call to care for this community, though, has to start with caring for you. And that's why I want you to take a look at Acts 20 today, that none of us will be frozen in place. The story of Acts chapter 20, if you're unfamiliar with, with it, it focuses around a fellow by the name of, of Paul. Paul the Apostle he's known of. He's the, he was the key missionary figure in the early church in the decades after Jesus' ministry. At least as far as we know, he's the one who we, that we, we have writings about other missionaries, but he certainly is chronicled more than anybody else in the writings that we have. And we know that for many years he traveled around the Mediterranean. And in Acts 20, it's kind of like this. He, he can see that his ministry days are coming to a close. And that he's, he, he knows that his life is, his career, if you will, is winding down. And he, he's doing a farewell tour around the Mediterranean. He stops at a place called Ephesus. It's in modern day Turkey. There are ruins of the city there. And he, he, brought, he planted the church there and he brings all the elders from that church together. And he says, I've got some instructions for you because this is the last time I'm going to get to talk to you. And we're going to step into his instructions halfway through of his comments to them. Okay, beginning at verse 22 of Acts 20. He says this, compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. And actually, he goes to Jerusalem. Long story short, he gets arrested. He's taken to Rome, and he's put in prison. And there's some debate that maybe he died there, or nonetheless, he's in prison in Rome for some period of time. But he knows that by going to Jerusalem, that's going to happen. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. In other words, it's going to be, it's going to be, well, you know, I got some tough sledding. I got some tall climbing to do. I'm gonna some, you know, a lot of. It's gonna be a lot of long days of rowing and short nights, and I don't know that I'm getting back to you. So you better pay attention to this. Is my last word to you? He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so this is my project, this is what I've been doing, I'm going to keep doing that, but I'm out of here, and now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom, you're never going to see me again. Therefore, I declare today that I'm innocent of any blood of any of you, for I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I, I, I've been working with you, I've, I've visited a number of times, you've written letters, and, and you've heard from me, but now this is the last go-round. And truthfully, guys, he's saying to, to all the, the leaders, he's saying, I kind of have to take my hands off now and let you guys run it. And so it's, it's your responsibility. And I've given you everything I've got, so now you do what you need to do. He says in verse 28. And frankly, this, if you, if you will, when I think about the task that I have in this congregation, 
This is my job. Verse 28 is my job description in just a few words. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, there's a lot going on there, but it has significant implications for people like me who have the role I have in the life of our church and other congregational leaders. He's basically saying, look, I don't think I'm coming back. The congregation here at Ephesus is now your responsibility. Work with diligence. Pay attention to the needs of your people, just as how a shepherd would pay attention to the needs of his or her flock. You know why? Because you leaders at Ephesus, you people of First Christian Decatur, you need to be aware that the church, this congregation, or the church, large church, large C, it's all very valuable. Jesus purchased your eternal salvation, the eternal salvation of each person in our congregation, in congregations around the world. He purchased that with his own blood. And that is something you have to take very seriously, he's saying. Since, since Jesus' sacrificial death was costly, since the life of each person in the church is costly, congregational leaders like, like, like me, I have to be certain that I work with care and diligence and focused attention. And that's really what's been driving this series because I'd speak on behalf of the leaders of our church. We are concerned about you. I'm not the only leader. I'm one of many. But I know that I speak for everybody on our leadership team when we say, we work, we plan, we pray, we chat, we discuss, we debate. Uh, with all this in mind, are the individuals within our congregation, are they growing and are they serving Jesus Christ? Because it's my responsibility, if you will, to avoid any David Sharps kind of hunkering over in a cave all by themselves and end up getting frozen in their relationship with Jesus Christ and literally dying spiritually in front of our eyes. Now, you need to know to that end, some of us on, who are in the leadership circles of the church are on staff, some are not, but we never, regardless of that setting, none of us ever approach our role as if we're simply hired officials, no. Instead, we understand that as leaders that we are in partner in Christ's work with each person in our church. It's a partnership. You know, we've talked before that, uh, a couple weeks ago I said, you know, this is the church and here's the steeple, here's the doors, open the, open the doors and here's all the people. It's not people by themselves, it's but it's us together. That's why ministry in this congregation is covenantal. It's us working together in an understanding of relationship with mutual accountability, mutual care, mutual growth, mutual service, along with an understanding, we got a future together. So we're in this covenantal relationship. It's not a transactional relationship. Do you know what a transactional relationship is? That's when you go to the gas station. You put your credit card in, and you say, I'm getting $20 worth of gas, and they better give you $20 worth of gas, not $19.95, right? It's like, that's what I, I bought, $20. I deserve $20 worth of gas. When you come and we form this life as a congregation, it's not transactional where, okay, because of my generosity, there should be goods and services that come my way. No, we should be generous because we're generous. And then as a congregation, it's never a transactional relationship. It's a mutual covenantal relationship. I want to show you a picture of what it looks like. I want you to notice an arrow here. The arrow of how this relationship goes back and forth between leaders of the church and the people of the congregation. It goes two ways. It's never top down. It's never bottom up. In other words, it's going this way, one person to another. I could put it this way. 
I'm not your boss and you're not mine. Now, I understand the issues of pastoral authority and how that plays out. And I understand the issues, I mean, let me say it this way, I understand how as one of the pastors of the church, I'm supposed to have authority in the lives of individuals in the life of the church. I also understand how the congregation is to have authority over me. I get all that. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about that there's this understanding that we are in a mutually accountable relationship together. Leaders to the congregation, congregation to the leaders. But it doesn't stop there. This covenantal relationship is not just about how leaders in the church relate, but it's about how people relate person to person. When you're part of the life of this church, it's got to be this case, that you should not, and I would call you, you cannot, must not, dare not, be anonymous in either worship or ministry. I understand that when people first arrive at a church like ours, they go, I want to kind of just sit in the corner, if you will, and kind of just see how things go, and that may be okay for a few weeks. But to be part of the life of a church means you're getting involved in the community of the church. It's community, it's covenantal. And uh, we need to take some steps in that regard in 2017. You notice in your program today, there's a form. It's a cardstock form. I want you to pull it out, if you will, please. It's also available on your smartphone, if you'd like to look at it there. And it's, um, today we're doing something that, like I said, we've never done this before in worship. But our present setting requires it. In that in recent years, the congregation has grown in numbers that at times, I'll just say it straight up, have exceeded our ability to keep up with Paul's charge to the elders and pastors. And if, if I'm to look over the um, flock with diligence, and the other leaders of our church are, if we're to, we need to know who is in this flock. So I'm not going to ask everybody to complete this form today. Like I said, you can do it online. Just keep scrolling down, you'll find it. And I'm going to give you some time if you're doing it in worship here today. You are going to do it in worship today. I'll give you some time in a bit to do that. Um, Bottom line, there are times of late when we no longer know who is here. And I tell you, it feels inappropriate. It, to let that continue feels careless on my part. It feels like I would be allowing you to be careless. And I'd have to say, it feels, and I believe with the, from the bottom of my heart, it's non-biblical. So in a nutshell, what we're asking is that today, and we're going to make this form available in the weeks ahead as well. We're not going to spend as much time with it in the weeks ahead. This is a a way for all the church to get on the same page regarding your relationship to First Christian Church. And it's asking this, will you covenant with this congregation to grow and serve together? Because, again, remember David Sharp. Frozen in place, but no one noticed he was alive. I'm concerned that that's a possibility of late, that it could take place in the lives of too many now congregation. And I, I, frankly, I want to live out Paul's charge to the leaders of Ephesus, to watch over people like a shepherd watches over a flock of sheep. See, if we're going to do this mutual accountability business, then you need to be pouring into my life and I need to be pouring into your life and the people around us as well. And sometimes you need to call me to some different behavior, some better behavior, some new behavior. Sometimes as the pastor, I need to do that to you. I need to call you to a biblical worldview. That's my responsibility. I need, you to, call, I need to call you to having God-honoring relationships. I need to call you to be a person of worship, to be a person of prayer, to generosity, to growth, to kindness. If you will, what scripture says, bottom line, love God and love others as you would love yourself. Because in a cult, the culture around us is going on, what's in it for me? We're going to look at this next week. Um, in that sort of culture, 
This church is calling you to live in kindness and God-honoring ways in every area of our lives. And so what you have in your hand today is a form that's going to steer us and help us step into that mutual accountability covenant in a greater way. Now, can I explain a little bit to you? You've got a colored side and you've got a black and white side. We want you to fill out both sides, if you will. But I want you to note that on one side's data, on the other side is um, more of um, some things that you're going to do. So there are, there are three boxes. Uh, for some, you, if you look down in box number two there on the colored side, you, you've been a member of the church for years, and I'm simply asking you to affirm that decision of the past. For others, you've never made that sort of committal covenantal commitment to this church. You would be the ones that were looking at box number one. Now, I want you to be mindful we need information on everybody because there are some who are going to then say, take, check box number three and say, no, not at this time, and that's cool. But we're, we're aware of this as leaders that we have a responsibility to you and for you. We have that arrow going towards you. This is our way in which we're trying to step into that. So be mindful if you fill out box number one, what that's going to do is it's going to put you on the membership roles of our church. And so I have, some, I have some action points for you today to try and bring this to a close quickly, if I may. First of all, we're asking everybody to fill out at least the data side so that we know who's here, all right? And then, if you will, choose one of the three options on the other side because we want our records to be updated. And um, we've recently had a number of people asking us about um, becoming a member of the church as the years be started. So be mindful. You fill out the front side and put a check mark on box number one. You'll be completing a covenantal approach to membership here at the church. Present members are asked to affirm their present relationship with the church. And then I'm quite aware, if I can, as from a pastoral word, I'm quite aware that for some people, this may be too much or too soon right now. Be mindful of this. We're still going to watch over you with great diligence. Because I'm really glad for this. I'm glad that everybody is here today. I'm glad that everybody is here exploring Jesus Christ and his church. And if you choose to forego the covenantal portion at this time, we'll still care for you. I'll still watch over you. We'll still pray. We'll still invite you to be a person of service and growth. And hear me very clearly, participation in the life of our church is still fully available to you because there are no membership requirements to grow in Christ and there are no membership requirements to serve Christ through this church. And to that end, we're gonna pray about all this in the weeks ahead and particularly this week. You may be aware we've got a week of prayer scheduled and I'm inviting you, if you're a part of the life of this church, Step into prayer this week. We've got uh, five days of prayer, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And each day is going to be a different leader. So Monday, a leader will be leading prayer, and it's going to be at 7 o'clock, noon, and 6. In other words, that leader will repeat that worship service, that prayer service, three times that day. A new leader and a new service on Tuesday, a new leader and a new service on Wednesday. You pick the time when you come. Come five days if you wish. Come 15 times if you wish. And we'll see what God does in our lives together. So, my concern as I was preparing this message, and we've even been thinking about this for a long time, is that this would be really boring and be very confusing. Help me out. Pray with me. Let's get this under our belts, and we'll go from there. Okay, let's pray together. God, you graciously, Lord, have brought a lot of people into the life of this congregation, and um, we have a responsibility to the community. That's all good, God. We're glad for that. But before we even get to that, we have a responsibility toward each other. So, 
Help us to be diligent in the nitty-gritty stuff, Lord. Not only the big, you know, mountaintop stuff, but in the smaller details of how we keep in contact with one another, how we relate to each other. Give us grace for each other's lives, for the days when we do things really well, and then for the days when we don't do so well. We're going to be, Lord, working together. Help us today to reflect that through um, this moment together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to ask you to fill this out. We're going to give you a couple minutes, but before you do it, just a couple other notes. If you notice on this side, that's circled in red on my sheet, um, it says, are you involved in a grow together ministry or are you involved in a serve together? In other words, are you involved in a small group or a class or something or other? Equips coming up. We'd want to know about that. Are you involved in a volunteer position? We want to know about that. And then I need to say a word, a, a brief word about baptism because it's, it asks about baptism. We have this sense that if you're going to do this with us, it's an indication that you decided, you've made a decision to walk with Jesus Christ. And walking with Jesus Christ here at our church, this is how we understand it, that begins the first step of walking with him. The first step of discipleship is baptism. And if you've been baptized before, we need to know that. And if you've not been baptized, we'd like to get you baptized. We've got some people already that we've heard from that are wanting to get baptized today, and uh, more in the weeks ahead, I suppose. But if you should choose to be baptized today, uh, we're ready for you. We've got clothes that you can put on, and we could get you immersed, and uh, you can declare your allegiance to Jesus Christ. And so you say, well, I was baptized as an infant. Well, that's cool. That's cool. We'll leave it there. But what we have learned is that some people, as they become part of the life of our church, they choose then to be immersed. And... Um, you say, well, if I do that, is that voiding what my parents did? No, in fact, I think you could put it this way, that when your parents chose you to be baptized as an infant, they were making a decision and a statement. They were hoping that you would one day choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ, fully devoted to him. And they hoped that you as an adult would follow through with what they did. And so if you've never made an adult declaration of your faith, baptism would be a great way to do that. So. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a moment or two to fi 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 uh, fill this out, and then we'll step into communion together. And after the communion prayer, while the congregation in both rooms is taking communion, um, Pastor Brian from here in the west will meet you in the, in the lobby, or in the east auditorium, Pastor BJ will meet you in the lobby over there, and we'll see what we can do about getting you in the baptistry. But for now, I'll give you a couple minutes to fill this out, if you will, please. Again, it's available on, your we on the website firstdecatororg slash membership. You can fill it out and people in the office will love that. You've done all the work for them. How's that? <laughs>